Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. So, as it turns out, I might have light again. I, th- I thought we were going to sail through this last part of Galatians, but apparently not. We're, ju- we're stopping. We're stopping to smell all of the pretty roses. <laughs> last time I said we only had a couple weeks left in our series with Galatians, but as it's turning out, there's, uh, there's quite a bit left to explore. In the last episode, I presented the biblical understanding of love as it's referenced in Galatians chapter 5. This time, I want to talk about the biblical practice of love. This is the natural next step from our last topic. So I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to the previous episode yet, go back, listen through it, because it will be real helpful for today's lesson. So with that little heads up, let's take a look at the biblical practice. Galatians 5, 13-15 is a crucial point within this larger passage. It's acting as a reminder, like a knot that ties a bunch of loose ends together, and it's offering a call to action. It says, You were called to freedom, my brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, an important component that's weaved through these verses is the biblical understanding of love. This isn't like a generic lovey-dovey feeling. This is a specific sacrificial love that comes from God. And that's something we looked at in the last episode. But now for this lesson, I want to look at the practice the biblical practice of love. Because it says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Now, just quickly, to frame the context for you, this is a a letter, the letter of Galatians, addressed to a group of churches in the ancient region of Galatia. Think of Asia Minor. What's that today? Uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So when it says, serve one another, when this was written, it's, it's talking about people within those churches. So that's the immediate context for these verses. But also, take note how Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, addressed the people. He called them brothers. Now, this is a, a masculine noun in the Greek, but it also allows for women within a group of people, uh, kind of like how we say guys today, right? Like, hey guys, what's up? That could be addressed to both men and women. Uh, The King James Version tried to capture this this idea. Uh, It translated this word to brethren, which kind of carries that idea with it. Similar synonyms that could go along with that are like comrades or colleagues, members, associates, uh, maybe even buddies. (laughs) This is addressed to the members of the church. That's, That's what I'm trying to get at. So you could say, Brothers and sisters, within the freedom that you have been given, willingly submit yourselves 
to each other and serve each other out of an abundance of love. That's how I would put it. So then Paul says that and he moves on to talk about the love of neighbors. He says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. According to Paul, this one command sums up the entire Old Testament law. And it's really similar to what Jesus said when someone asked him this kind of question during his, his earthly ministry. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 22. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question in order to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, Paul simply states that the heart of the law is fulfilled through loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself because you will never love your neighbor as much as you love yourself until you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The reason for that is because it's only through the love that God provides that we will ever be able to love anyone sincerely other than ourselves. Now, I I want to pause on this for a, this thought for a minute. I this goes back to our last episode, understanding biblical love. Now, people are able to experience things like uh, affection and attraction, desire, and they can develop a, a personal care for others. All of this can be done without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. This can just be done. I guess the word could be uh, naturally. So why is that? Well, as people, we are made in the image of God. We were made with love in order to receive love and dispense love. This is something that we're designed to do. However, because of our inherent change through sin, we've, we, we became marred in our reflection of God. We're still image bearers. We still are made in the image of God. We're just kind of a a messy, selfish versions of that now. This is why love, at least in the English language and in, in my culture, has become really complicated, but at the same time, really broad. It lives in this ubiquitous area where, where it just, it kind of means happiness, but a little bit more than happiness. It's, it's the fulfillment of personal desire. Now, just to add another layer to this, there are other things that attribute to this as well. There's physical and psychological reasons as well, most of which are meant to signify or give example for something that God wants us to understand or experience. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if I've told you earthly things and you don't you don't believe them. How, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, it's, it's clear from biblical examples that God establishes earthly practices in order to effectively communicate heavenly truths. Examples of this are like 
becoming a parent for the first time. A lot of my friends are fathers, and they have all told me about the moment that they held their tiny newborn child. They all talked about how something changed in their mental makeup, and, and they could not describe the, the affection, the, the protection, the, the care, and the personal desire that they had for this little person that no one else in the world could possibly have. This moment of experience speaks to how God the Father cares for His children. There, there's no way that we would be able to understand the way that God loves us without having something that would let us experience just a little bit of it. Another example is marriage. Even sex within marriage is a foreshadowing of Christ loving the church because within this intimate moment between a dedicated man and a committed woman, there is no greater way to describe the feelings of ecstasy that God has for you. The example of a husband and a wife having the most intimate experience that people can have points to the relationship that Christ has with his church, his bride. Now, these examples, when practiced correctly, are wonderful, wonderful things. But when they're misused or become distortions of what they were meant to represent, they become abominations before the Lord. For instance, if a father neglects their child or abuses them, if he doesn't build them up with support and correction the way he should, he is misrepresenting the Lord in a horrible way to that child. If a couple abuses sex and replaces its meaning for personal fulfillment, they're replacing an incredible moment that's meant to strengthen a marriage, and they're plunging themselves into a darkness distorting what marriage and sex are supposed to foreshadow. Love, from the, the biblical sense, has been taken by mankind and distorted to mean temporary fulfillment or physical stimulation. It, it means personal fulfillment. We have taken the love that we were made with and we have redesigned it to be a feeling of personal fulfillment. This is why God's law was necessary. Because, yes, we were made in the image of God. We have the ability to foster affection, and we are able to create relationships and have care for people. But it comes and is produced from a sinful, failing love that we have created. We are inherently sinful people. But God's law showed us something different. It, it was a selfless love. God's law was an entire worldview that, that just, it didn't fit within this world's mindset. You see, understanding the law helps us understand love. We were enemies of God, and even those who were not enemies per se, I mean, they would frequently find themselves running away in rebellion. Our sinfulness was revealed, and people became aware that no one could stand without condemnation before the Lord. So the law helped reorientate our understanding of right and wrong, and it introduced righteous love, or you could even call it godly love. As I stated before, it's clear from biblical examples that God establishes earthly practices in order to effectively communicate heavenly truths. One of these examples 
highlights this righteous love in, in an incredible way. Out of God's desire for relationship with mankind, he would often partner with prophets in order to correct nations and offer redemption to those who were lost. Now, one prophet that God worked with was named Hosea. And this is what we find at the beginning of of this account in the book of Hosea. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. This is incredible. I mean, God in his sovereign wisdom worked with Hosea to, I mean, kind of set up an uncomfortable situation in order to clearly communicate his heartbroken love for his covenant people. Hosea was faithful. That that could be the tagline of the book. Hosea was faithful. <laughs> with So he was faithful with this instruction. He married a prostitute named Gomer. And while they were married... They had three children together, but their legitimacy was questionable as it said that they were conceived in prostitution. Despite that, God directly named each child, setting up a prophecy that detailed the invasion from a nation called Syria or Assyria and the fall of Samaria. It was a warning of righteous judgment and it's, it's, more, it's, it's explained more thoroughly throughout the book of Hosea. The first child was a boy. God told Hosea to name him Jezreel, or Jezreel, I think is how you say it. It means God will sow. The second child was a girl, and God called her No Mercy. The last child was another boy, and he was named Not My People. These are brutal names. But in this judgment warning, God declared in chapter 2, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. You will finally know me as the Lord. They shall answer Jezreel, whose name means God will sow, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. Now, it's it's not really detailed how it happened, but in Hosea chapter 3, just following the story, God told Hosea, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. And then the most surprising thing happens in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Hosea wrote, So I bought her. I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, You must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me, your husband. This shows that Israel 
will go a long time without a king or prince, and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. When God's chosen covenant people chased after other gods and other goddesses, God did not stop loving them, even though they were condemned by his own law. He was faithful to them when they were faithless. He showed mercy when they didn't earn it. He was prepared to buy them out of their slavery to sin and receive the righteous punishment that they deserved. God set up a hope for the future through this foreshadowing of Hosea and Gomer. A hope for the future, both for his covenant people and for his illegitimate children, also known as Gentiles. This hope was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5, 1-11 God loves with an unfailing, uncorrupted, righteous nature. In his holiness, he must demand justice. But he made a way through Jesus Christ to serve his justice and save his people. This is the love we walk in. This is the love that the Holy Spirit carries into us. We're not capable of loving like this because our love fails. It's produced from a corrupted nature. It, it gets bent by selfish desires. So how can we possibly love our neighbors with the love of God? It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. It's, it's rather long, but it answers this question better than I ever could. This is from Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, 
in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let no thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as a, an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires and put on your new self, which is created after the likeness of God and being renewed through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why the heart of the law is fulfilled through the commandment to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Because we will never love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves until we love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. This is the breeding ground for spiritual renewal. It is through this divine, righteous love that we are called to love our neighbors. The, the way we interact, the, the words we say, the, the things we do, should all be for the glory of God. We should love our neighbors with the goal that they will love the Lord. We need a, a mindset reset in our approach to love. It's not to encourage unity for the sake of unity. It's not to help people love themselves more. It's all for the glory of God because God loves with the ferocity that's unmatched. We need to pull our understanding of love out and away from our cultural practices and allow the Bible and the Holy Spirit to lead us into new understandings and new practices. This is the love that Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5. Within the freedom that we're given, we should willingly submit ourselves to one another 
and ultimately to the Lord. Because if we don't, Paul warned in Galatians 5.15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The biblical practice of love comes by walking with the Spirit and understanding the way God loves you. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Next week, we'll continue with Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 16, and we'll work our way up to verse 26. That's the end of chapter 2. Next week's passage is probably the most well-known portion of Galatians. Paul talks about the the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) I I remember as a kid memorizing the the list that he gives. It's it's a favorite among many people, and I'm, I'm excited to take a look at it, take a dive into it, and then share with you what I find. Uh, if you're still here and you haven't turned this thing off, I just want to say thanks. Your support is so appreciated. If you could do me a favor and share this episode with somebody, that would be great. But if you just want to hog this all for yourself, that's totally fine too. I just appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you for joining me. Uh, until next week, I'll catch you later.